0: And, and, um, and as we go. And um, I don't know really how to transition there. That's kind of a tough... tough. You know what? Let's, let's have a word of prayer. Let's do this. Lord, we, uh, we ask that your spirit would unite us, uh, that we would love each other, that we would see... That, that we do seek to be faithful. We want to be faithful to your call upon our lives, but, but that's, that's hard. And, and that demands that sometimes we wrestle with really tough issues. And um, your word tells us to be united in love, and, and I pray that we will be and can be as we move forward in faith. And we ask it here in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's, let's take a, a quick shift here this morning. And um, I was sitting down a few weeks ago, and I was kind of mapping out my calendar, for the next few months trying to protect days and events and things I need to to get down and and I looked in early in May I've got a few days that are blocked because I'll be going up to Tennessee that's when Ryan's semester will end at Middle Tennessee State and I'll go up and and help move him down and uh, as I was doing that, I was thinking about my experience with that last year and going up and and picking him up and this is true at every college campus from when I was in college to some of you, if you went to college, and, and on through today. And that is that when students move out and they're, they're getting ready to go home, if you stand outside the dorms, you will find the piles start to <laughs> accumulate. Piles of things that college students don't want to move home. Carpet, televisions, appliances, uh, other um, cabinetry and things. that They've just decided there's nothing wrong with it. They just don't want to take it home. And so they put it out there and locals will drive around and they will cherry pick stuff. And there's good stuff to have. I almost took a few things um, when, when, I was, when I was leaving. And, and it just speaks to the fact that, that there's this reality for all of us that in our culture we live in, in, um, in a throwaway society. We just throw stuff away. There was an article in Time Magazine um, that was called, I think it was called, The Emerging New Throwaway Society and it was written in nineteen fifty five and it talked about things that we take for granted the fact that that nowadays now again keep in mind nineteen fifty five nowadays people um... blow their nose in tissues and throw them away rather than handkerchiefs that they wash or that diapers that are thrown away rather than washed. And some of you kind of remember the days or maybe did you know of of of, of washing diapers i can think of nothing less pleasant than washing diapers um, and, and shoes, when you used to, you know, fix shoes, and now you don't. So those are the small. And then now appliances and things, and, and even uh, small appliances, large appliances, TVs. You know, we just don't fix things anymore. We didn't then. We certainly don't now. One of the first restaurants I ever ate in, uh, in the area when I came here nine years ago, Pastor Don took me to, uh, I think it's King Buffet. It's a Chinese buffet in Palmetto. I think it's on 8th Street there. And the reason I bring that up is right next to it is a storefront. It's a TV repair shop. Now, I didn't even think it was still open. Apparently, it is still open. I looked at it. It's the only TV repair shop that I could find in the area. Now, there may be other ones, but I just Googled it. We don't do that. You know, we get rid of stuff when it breaks. Appliances. I mean, we, we just don't do it. We, we just we junk things, and we, we buy new. And so, you know, those days of... of um, um, Andy Griffith show, uh, Emmett's Fix-It Shop, those of you that may right? Were, those kind of fix-it places, they, you don't find them. You find them for cars and for computers. That, that was my, my, prelimin- my, my search, for cars and for computers. We, we tend to, to just get rid of stuff, which makes, the interesting, makes very interesting what is starting to emerge. And that is, I came across, and there's, there's a, one of these places in, in St. Petersburg, And it's called a repair cafe. Have you ever heard of a repair cafe? It's relatively new. But there are cafes that are emerging around the globe that have in them tools and do-it-yourself manuals and books on fixing things. And there are volunteer specialists that will hang out in these places of very kind of skills for, for repairing different things. And the idea is you bring the stuff that we commonly throw away. And... And you fix it. And you engage in fixing it with others who can help guide you in the process. So you you can bring in the toaster. You can bring in the television. You can bring in garments and clothing that have ripped that you might have thrown away or that you need to alter in some way. But you bring in all of those things. And in community, things start to get fixed. And it says people will come without even stuff to fix. They'll just come to have a cup of coffee and some tea and sit there and, and hang out and be together. But it's a place... It's a place where things that were previously discarded can be brought in so they can be fixed. And I started to think about that. And I started to think about that in light of what the church is. And I thought, what a wonderful image for what the church is called to be. We are God's repair shop. What if, what if we said, well, we're not building a church. We're building a repair cafe. Not for appliances or televisions or but for human lives where those who are broken, those who feel that they may have been discarded can find restoration and wholeness and, and recovery and value. That's a powerful image. For, for what the church is meant to be. And, and it's a powerful image that drives us into our scripture this morning. This, these verses in the, the 51st Psalm. Because David is coming. This is a, a psalm that, that David writes, and, and we think of David so often as, as the, the one who, a man of great faith, who, who slayed giants and who um, you know, was a great king. But, but one of the things I've said often about David that makes him so real when you study his life is that David was so flawed and so broken in so many ways. He was so much like us, and I appreciate that. I, can, I can't identify with uh, the David who was the king on the throne, but I can identify with the David who screwed up. And, um, and this, is, this is screw up is, is a minor way. This psalm is written in the aftermath of, of probably his greatest sin and that was his sin with Bathsheba and, and if you don't know the story I would encourage you to go back and read it um, in, in Samuel but, but David who should have been out in the battlefield with his army stays behind and he sees beautiful Bathsheba bathing and and he's immediately he, lust that's all it is, it's lust but he's the king and nobody tells the king no so he calls Bathsheba and Bathsheba doesn't have any choice, let me, let me, that's a whole different sermon but we tend, to, we tend to scapegoat Bathsheba. Uh, Bathsheba, understand, this is the king. I don't know what her mindset was, but she did not have a choice here. And so he brings her in and has a relationship with her, and she gets pregnant. And he realizes, uh oh, this is a mess because she's married, and her husband is serving in my army. So he calls Uriah back because he thinks, well, if I can bring Uriah back, and he'll come back into town, he'll spend some time with his wife. Then it will make sense when she ends up pregnant. So he calls Uriah back and says, has a feast and says, go home, be with your wife. And he says, no. He says, my brothers are on the battlefield. I'm not going to be comfortable while they're out there. So he refuses to, to have any intimacy with his wife. So it undoes David's plan. So if you remember the story, and I'm really, really skimming through it, understand this. But, but David writes a letter. He basically signs Uriah's death warrant. He seals it and he gives it to Uriah to deliver to the general. And the death warrant basically says, "Put Uriah at the front and pull back." So he's going to end up killed. Then David's off the hook, right? Yeah, nobody knows. He marries Bathsheba. All's right in the world, right? Nobody knows. All the wiser. God knows. He knew. The prophet Nathan knows and David's called to accountability and, and things begin to spiral out of control for him. And in the aftermath of that, in this brokenness, this terrible sinfulness of David's life, when, when it is falling apart, this is what he writes. And it's important to know that. Now, I I'm I'm pick up at verse 10. I'm going to read verse 1 and 2 real quick. Then I'm going to skip to 10 where we pick up. It says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. Now at verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. Do not delight in sacrifice. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. And Lord, friends, let us pray. Lord, that we would come to you open and, and broken and, and transparent and allow your spirit to begin to work in our lives and, and to speak to us your truth and your promises. This is our prayer and we ask it in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen and amen. So here's the thing. What is true of us very often in tangible ways, in that that throwaway society that we talked about, the fact that we so easily discard things that we don't see any no longer having value or that are going to be an investment of our time and resources to fix and to make valuable or functional again. Those tendencies very often begin to seep out into our lives in other ways. And that is we can very easily become throwaway people in more significant areas. Rather than appliances or or material possessions, we can very easily discard um, relationships that become hard, whether they're friendships or family or marriages. We, We can easily discard integrity or character for ease and for comfort or for personal gain. I mean, there's so many ways that we will just walk away from circumstances, situations, and people that, that we determine are no longer worth the investment of our time and energy. And if our mindset was projected, if that was God's mindset, David knows he's in big trouble. Because David has thrown away in his life, and he's thrown it all away for this momentary gratification with Bathsheba. He's thrown away his integrity, his character. He, he has thrown away um, the sanctity of, of marriage and a commitment that, that he had and that she had to another man. He has thrown away her value and, and her respect and, and, and used this woman, Bathsheba. Uh, he has thrown away this anointing that God has placed on his life as, as king and as a man after God's own heart. I mean, he, his life is in shambles at this point. And if God had the character that most of us have, that I have, let me, let me not even put that on you. Let me tell you, if, if I was God at this point, David is done. At this point, it'd be like, enough. I mean, what, what more could God have done? I mean, David comes from, from the shepherd to king. He comes from, from seeming... Um, insignificant to, to the one who, who slays the giant and, and leads the people to this, this prominence. I mean, God had given him everything and it wasn't enough. And it throws it all away. And, and if I was God, I'd be like, okay, Dave, thanks for trying. Next up. Push him aside. Who's on deck? But what David knows, what David depends upon, what David professes in his psalm is, is the truth for us, is that we may be a throwaway people, but God is not a throwaway God. And that God doesn't give up, doesn't quit, doesn't cast us aside quite as easily as we might to one another. And so he comes to God depending not on his worth, but on God's character. And that God is a God of uh, restoration. God's in the repair business. And so he comes knowing that as he, as he professes later in the Psalms that God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He, he comes to God knowing he is broken. That's what he says at the very end of that, that the verses that I read at verse 17. That, that's his very language, a broken and contrite heart. He comes broken And what he seeks is a God who is a God of restoration. A God like Jeremiah would profess. A God who restores the wounds, who binds and heals the wounds of his people because David is wounded. By his own actions, he's wounded and he's wounded others. Or as Joel, the prophet in in Joel chapter 2 says, the one who restores our days. Who gives us those days that we lose. He gives those back. God who makes things, as, as Isaiah would say, that we are, our sin is, is red like scarlet. He makes us white as snow. A God of forgiveness, a God of restoration, a God of grace. A God, as the New Testament would say, that in Christ gives forgiveness. David falls upon that knowledge. That promise that God does not cast us aside. That God does not discard us as easily as we might for one another. And brothers and sisters, that is the start of the good news for us. Because here is the truth. This is not David's story specifically. It's ours. Our sin and our brokenness is different. You know, it may not, and I hope it's not David's story. But, but the point is that, that when we come here today, why, why does Repair Cafe resonate with me so much? Because I know that everybody in here, and I mean you and me, comes here broken. It's just a matter of how visible our brokenness is. I, I say that all the time. Some of us are broken, and, and we get broken in ways that the world can see. And some of us, it's, it's our internal wrestling and the brokenness that, that maybe we can hide better from others. But we all come in need of restoration. And the good news is, no matter what your story is, the good news is, no matter what your your is, I mean, if God can restore David as he would, and, and there's consequences for David's actions, that's, again, a different sermon. But if, if God can say to David, I have not abandoned you. I will not turn my back on you. I have not forgotten you. My love is not withdrawn from you. If God can say that to David, Come to me with your story and and make a case that God can't do the same to you. Make a case that God's love and His his grace and His restoration isn't as equally abundant and and offered to you and to me. God's in the repair business. That's that's really good news for all of us. As we come, the question then becomes, well, what is required of us? What What do we do to, to begin to experience this, this restoration of God through the work of His Holy Spirit. And, and I can't make it any simpler than this. This is what it costs. It costs honesty. Now, it costs Jesus' life, His death and the resurrection. But for us, it means, for us, what does it cost? It costs a willingness to come honestly before God a willingness to do what is so hard for us to do. The, very, the first 10 verses, and I read verses 1 and 2, I added them back in, because the very first thing that, that, that David does is he acknowledges the very character of God. God, you are a God of compassion, a God of love, a God of forgiveness. But then the next thing that he does in verses 3 through 10, and I'll just read you just a piece of it, in verse 4, I want you to hear what he says. He says, against you, God, against you I have sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight. You were right in your verdict. You were justified when you judge. David is not coming pretending this was okay. David is not coming and going, yeah, I messed up. But you know, God, it's really not that big a deal. David's doing what so many of us really struggle to do, which is confession. You remember remember Happy Days? How many of you grew up watching Happy Days? The Fonz? You remember the words he could never speak? I was... Ru-ru-ru. You remember that episode? I was... Ru-ru. He couldn't say the words wrong. I was wrong. And it was tongue-in-cheek. And it was meant to be... That. But the truth is, we have that problem. We struggle with that. Confession. Admitting we were wrong. Seeking forgiveness. That, what does it cost? It costs a contrite heart. To be honest, when, when I sit... When I sit with, with couples getting ready to get married, um, one of the things that I'll ask, usually I do this in a few places um, where I'll tell them, I say, look at me, don't look at each other. Right now you've got to look at me. And I'll, it doesn't matter if it's the, 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 you know, who it is that I'll ask, but I'll, but I'll look at one of them and I'll say, okay, here's my question. Without looking at him or without looking at her, how good are they at saying, their, I'm sorry? And I make them answer. It's really uncomfortable. It's fun. Um, <laughs> and then I do the same. I to, to say, so how good is he or she at saying I'm sorry? And, and the point is not to cause unrest, but just to think deeply about the need to be confessional. The need to be confessional because those of you, and whether it's friendships or marriages or, or family, sometimes the people that you care the most about will hurt you the worst. Not because they want to, but because you're most, inv- you're most vulnerable to that. And so the, the need to be confessional. David is confessional. It doesn't come naturally for us. We want to hide our transgressions. We learn that at an early age. It's instinct. I remember one of the weird stories that, that I remember so well from my own childhood. And I don't know why. Well, I guess I do. We could kind of dig into that psychologically. Evaluate me. Why I remember the story. But I was, you know, all of six or seven years old. And, and I was at church. And I was in, like, the, the kid's room. It was, you know, it was beyond nursery, but this kind of big playroom that we were in. And one of the girls in the group had put a quarter on the counter. I don't even know why, but she put a quarter on the counter, and I saw it. And so I walked by, thinking of my six-year-old slyness, and I took that quarter, and I put it in my pocket. And I remember, a few minutes later, the teacher of that group, she must have seen me, or I was just guilty, you know, by obvious... Uh, you know, trans, transparent, but, but I remember she said, Chris, did you take that quarter? And the quarter's in my pocket. And I looked at her and said, no, I didn't do it. And she said, you sure you didn't take that quarter? No, I didn't do it. And I denied and denied. Now, she never asked me to turn my, po- my pockets inside out. She, I think she saved me that embarrassment but I remember later taking that quarter out and thinking I was all slick and sliding it back on the counter and leaving it there like oh it just magically appeared Um, but here's what I remember even at that age knowing knowing I'd done it knowing I had done wrong but I couldn't confess it I couldn't admit it I was just gonna deny it deny it deny it Well. What gets in the way of God's repair work in our lives? Deny, deny, deny. David is past that stage. He confesses. He is open, he's transparent, and he's self-reflective. And he comes openly to God. This is my sin. Lord, restore me. Restore me. Now, hear me say this. This is personal confession. See, a lot of us, we're not good at admitting our wrong. We are really good at admitting others' wrongs. I can find your sin real fast if you give me a minute or two. But, but we don't like to. But that's not what David's doing. This is, this is self-reflection. This is, this, is, this is what I need. This is my contrite heart. Allow God to restore me. Friends, God does remarkable things through broken people. fact, he does pretty much everything through broken people because he chooses to. And the church, this gathering of, of folks who are on a journey together, we allow God to transform us when we come honestly and open. And the story of the church, the story of God's people is the story of God's redemption and powerful things that are done through people whose lives were once in shambles. And God who brings beauty out of that when we're open and allow God to work. Uh, Again, hear me say, I'm not throwing stones at anybody when I say that you're broken. I just know human nature, and I know that's what God's Word says. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But allow God to begin to transform that story. Allow God to make something beautiful. Allow this place to be a repair shop where lives are restored, relationships are healed, and people are empowered to go forward in ministry. That's David's story is our story. And it's a good news story. Because we come to a God who does not throw us away. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the promise of your love. For the, your patience with us. Your grace that, that covers us. And, and that though we are tempted to walk away. You never will. And so, Lord, may we find strength in that and be empowered by your presence as we are redeemed by your love. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.